Today the reading is from Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament and in the series that Adrian is talking about the minor prophets. So from Malachi, verses 1 to 5. Chapter 1, sorry. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. The next four verses are headed, Israel doubts God's love. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we've been crushed, we'll rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You'll see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. We look forward, Adrian, to your word on that. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, as Michael said, this is the last book of the Bible, so you should be able to find it at least. It's not the last book of the Bible. Uh, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, so I really hope that uh, you've kind of got something out of this uh, series. We've, it's been split over the last couple of years, but minor prophets with major messages. And uh, Malachi is one of those books which, again, just keeps on giving. And I'd, I'd love to preach through it in a number of weeks, but we're going to do it in one week. Uh, just to let you know what, where we're going. So next week we'll start our Christmas series. And I think the big thing at the moment for us is freedom. And so we're going to focus on this idea of freedom through Christmas. I really do believe it will be a great opportunity for you to bring your friends uh, or family that may not know the Lord. Uh, I will certainly be answering some questions. Uh, uh, what is true freedom from fear will be one of them. What is true fear, freedom from judgment will be another one. Uh, so, you know, it's a great opportunity. The other thing that's happening is uh, I've also spoken to another few pastors this week. Uh, we've met together. We often meet together and pray together and whatnot. And they're going to send a couple of worship teams uh, to help us out. Um, I think we need to give our worship team who have been just ploughing through this year and you know that basically when we roster they're kind of rostered either once or twice a week and there's only two of them so we can put everyone around uh, so our teams will be covering sort of two weeks a month and then sanctuary church will do one week and uh and springwood baptist will do the other week uh, each month so uh pray for those teams because uh i think that's a great way for them to uh, they offered to me and I said, look, I would be a fool to say no. So, uh, so I think that's a great opportunity. Well, let me pray and then we're going to have a good look at Malachi. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that it is 
powerful. Uh, thank you that uh, we can come to it with great confidence. And Lord, we've just sung a couple of wonderful songs. And if the whole world were ours, it would be an offering far too small to give you. Uh, Lord, I hope as we come away from uh, this uh, book today that we will really believe in our hearts that you are worthy of the worship and offering uh, that that calls for. So, Father God, bless us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure about you, but uh, over the last few years, I've become a little disgruntled with our politicians. Uh, maybe that's just the nature of life, and all politicians disappoint us at all times, but I think over the last, say, 10 years, it just seems to, I don't know, have gone another level. Uh, the thing about politicians is they're meant to bring honour to the parliament. And they're meant to bring honour and honour the people they are representing. And for some reason, I'm just feeling that that's not always happening uh, with our politicians. In fact, back in 2013, uh, at the election, uh, the government uh, gave out, I think it was 89 promises... 89 promises and on the AB 78 promises sorry and on the ABC website I'm not sure if you saw it but they had decided to put a promise tracker and what they did is from the 2013 election to the 2016 election they were tracking 78 promises and whether they were fulfilled or whether they were stalled or whether they were just completely forgotten about well, you'll be pleased to know that's 2013. 38% of them were delivered by the next election at 2016. 27% of, of them were in progress. 10% of them are stalled. But 24% of them were completely broken. They were completely disregarded and completely ignored. Some of those included a promise of no tax increase. Uh, well, that never happened. Uh, they also promised in 2013 to spend a week in an Indigenous community uh, every year. That never happened. And they said within 12 months they would publish a draft amendment for constitutional recognition of Aboriginal people. Well, that never happened. So there's all these promises that get broken. Uh, when you fast forward to the 2019 federal election, the pledge was stable government. We are not going to kick out our leader anymore. It's been happening for years and years. Well, within uh, a matter of two years, I think it was, Malcolm Turnbull uh, was shown the door. So the problem with these broken promises and whether you do what, I don't know why we call it the pub test now. I'm not sure why they're going into the pub to figure out what everyone thinks because I'm pretty sure those who have been at the pub aren't representing the majority of us. Uh, but uh, maybe they've got no inhibition, so they're telling it as it is. But the pub test, or whether you read an academic paper, uh, you'll find that the big problem with these promises being broken is a distrust. We build a distrust, and ultimately what that does, it dishonours the parliament. Well, did you know that if the prime, the prime, anyone who becomes a prime minister or a minister or the speaker of the House of Representatives or the leader of the Senate can carry the term honourable for the rest of their lives? Honourable. Now, think about that. They can call themselves honourable. And you go to the Parliamentary Education Office website, which there is one, and it says, well, that's what because uh, it represents the, the, the responsibilities they had and the office that they held. So 
See, the problem we have when we think about politicians is that they so often dishonour the parliament. They dishonour the people that they represent. Well, this morning we're going to ask this question. Are you honouring the one that you are representing? Do you bring honour to the one that is your God, that is your Lord, and that is your Saviour, that is the one who has brought you from death to life? Are you bringing him honour? And this is what the heart of Malachi is really about. They are dishonouring their God. And there's really two sections, and I think there's two big questions, and this is what I want to focus on that's happening here. Uh, Michael read the first one, the the second one's later. But if you have a look at verse 2, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, this is God's people, you ask, how have you loved us? Now you think about that for a moment. We all have parents, we all have differing relationships with our parents and I know that for some of you uh, that you look to your parents and you may question their love. But I tell you, I'm a parent now and my great fear is that one day my children will say, I don't think you loved me. Did you love me? And I know that every parent wants their child to know that they love them. Now, I know some of you may be in the position where your children have asked you, do you really love me? Think about what's happening in this text here. The children of God, the ones that he brought out of Egypt, brought through the wilderness, brought out of slavery, nothing deserved of themselves, called them out of the wilderness when he called Abraham in Genesis 12, Abraham, Isaac created a people for himself, gave them a promised land flowing with milk and honey. When they're grumbling in the wilderness, he continued to lead them on. He's brought them into a promised land. They have completely disregarded him, dishonoured him then. They go to exile. It's now 100 years after coming back from exile because he's had grace upon them and brought them back to the land to rebuild. And they're going... Do you really love us? Have you ever really loved us? That is a big question to ask of the God that has saved you and brought you out of slavery. And he goes, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Verse 3. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. What he's saying is that Esau was the firstborn. It's not that anyone really deserved to be called out of anywhere. But out of nothing, I have called Jacob, your father Jacob, out of nowhere I have chosen him. And I've done all those things. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 4. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Now he's actually talking about Edom, which is Esau's descendants. So he's saying, look, I'm focused right now on my people. How can you say you don't love me? It's quite, it's very insulting. All because they've forgotten everything 
that they are. They've forgotten all of their past. They've forgotten their testimonies. They've forgotten the, 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 the stories of the, of the people in, their, uh, in the past. And they're looking at the now and going, but really, do you love me even after all of that? See, one of the issues here uh, that he's bringing to their attention is that, well, firstly, it's the, it is you priests in verse 6. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. Now, if you remember, when the promised land was given, they were divided into 12 tribes, and the Levites were called to be the priesthood. Now, the people would bring the offerings to the priests and the priests would then sacrifice the best of that to the Lord and they would be able to eat of the offering. That's how they lived, through the offerings. Just in many respects, you know, you bring your offerings to the church and the church pays for me to live in a sense like the same kind of thing, really. But we're told in verse uh, verse 13 when you bring injured lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices should i accept them from your hands see they're taking the stuff which is the worst and giving it as the as the sacrifice to their god because it's a reflection of what they really think i don't think they have a heart relationship with their lord and he's saying you think i don't love you in fact, it's the other way around. And back in, uh, back in verse 8, he says, When you offer blind animal for sacrifice, is not that wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is, is that not wrong? And then he says, Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Now, the governor was effectively the commissioner of taxation in our day they had to all pay their taxes. They had to bring the offering to the governor. And he's saying, imagine you go up to the tax office and you say, hey, look, I've decided that I'm not going to let you take the first bit out of my wages. I'm just going to pay you whatever I've got left at the, end of the, at the end of the year. I'll just do my own sums and at the end of the financial year I'll say, hey, look, here you go. That's what's left. Do you think he'd accept that? Well, no, he wouldn't. In fact, that's why they take it out of our wages, because he knows what he would get. And God's saying, you allow the governor this, you ensure you pay the taxes to your governor, and you don't bring the best of what you have to me, the one who is the Lord of the heavens and the earth, the one who has given you life and breath, the one who is actually in charge of all things, you'll do this for a human ruler, but you will not do this for me. Well, I think it's a reflection that they don't see beyond themselves and they say, well, you don't love us. So the second thing the priests were really entrusted with was the preservation of knowledge. If you have a look at chapter 2, verse 7, it says, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So the second thing that 
they've, they've been entrusted with is the word of God, the knowledge of God, to be training people in the righteousness of God. They've been entrusted with the law. And because they've been entrusted with the law, they should be living that out in their own lives and they should be instructing others in a way which reflects God's love. But instead they're burdening people with a legalism to fill their own pockets and to give, give God all the, all the lame ducks effectively. Not that they sacrifice ducks, don't go and tell someone that. But the lame pigeons and the lame lambs and the lame everything else. The diseased animals. They're not training people into the right worship of the Lord. See, at the core of all this is worship. We worship him with what we offer. We worship him with, with our life. We worship him with the way that we handle his truth and we train others up. And you go, well, hang on, I'm not a priest. This is all on you, pastor. Whew. Well, let me just read you from 1 Peter chapter 2. See, something marvellous happened when Jesus uh, died on the cross, rose again, and he sent his Holy Spirit upon his people. We were all, all believers are anointed. And this is what 1 Peter says to the persecuted church who are struggling under their persecution. In chapter 2, verse 4 of 1 Peter, as you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then down in verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were a people, but now you, you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, to honour the Lord with our lives as his priesthood, we need to bring the best. We bring the first fruits of our, of our wealth. We bring the first fruits of our life and our time. We bring the first fruits and we dedicate ourselves to the word of God, to handle it well, to know him through it, to be able to train our children and train others in it, to disciple these are the treasured possessions. We are God's treasured possessions and everything he's given us, we treasure as his possession and his gift. Romans 12.1 says, uh, live your lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. Be pleasing and holy to him. See, Malachi is addressing this dishonour that comes with wrong worship. The world looks at us and says, well, do you really care i remember um a mate of mine that i lived with for a while i don't know if i've shared this story but he used to he was studying accountancy and while we were sharing a place uh we we're just flatmates it's okay and uh and we were <laughs> we were we were sharing a place and uh he used to work in a chicken factory now he used to turn up to the chicken factory and there was this big massive guy and he had like he was just huge and everyone was scared of him but every lunch, 
he would go out and he would open his word and he would read the Bible and do his devotion in broad daylight of everyone. And, uh, and I remember my mate one day being confronted really with this because he was, he was a Christian and he said, I don't think anyone in my workplace would even know that I'm a Christian, that I even go to church on Sundays. But here is this man who is more than willing to put everything, what's most important, right in the front of the world. Not be ashamed of it because he's not ashamed of his God. He knows that is the power to save. He lived it full-heartedly. And it was a, a really, really important um, thing for my mate to learn. I think it's a great illustration for us. It doesn't mean you have to pull out your Bible when you're having your lunch all the time, but it means we don't hide. We, the world should know what we value the most. Well, really, the second question that uh, Malachi brings up here um, and if you have a look at the end of chapter 2, beginning at verse 17, it says this. It says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. They say, How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? I think if there's any burning question... In our world today, it is, where is the God of justice? Why do bad things happen to good people? Where was he in that moment when that family suffered? Where was he? See, and it's a great question. But God's people here are asking it. In effect, they've given up on God. They've gone, you don't love us. And you're not administering justice. You see, the problem that they had was that they were looking at the world around them and they were looking at the nations who seemed to have control of them. They've just come out of an exile and they're thinking, well, where, well, how is this right? You were going to restore us, but we're struggling. Where are you? Why aren't you, uh, why aren't you wiping out the nations? See, they were longing for God to come, the Messiah to come. They were longing for him to destroy all the other nations because they honestly believed that they were the chosen ones that were all fine and they did had to do nothing in order to earn God's favour because they were, just, they were just Israel. By turning up and doing the rituals and turning up and doing the sacrifices and turning up and doing the religious stuff, that was who they were. So when's he going to destroy all the nations around? Where is the God of justice? Well, in response at the beginning of chapter 3, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Now that's quite confronting. He's going to refine the priesthood. He's rebuked them and now he's going to cleanse them. And so 400 years goes past. 
this blank page after Malachi between the Testaments, 400 years. And then if you go to Mark, Mark begins his gospel by quoting these words from Malachi. He says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and he's mixed some Isaiah and Malachi here, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, the question is, where is the God of justice? Where is he? Why is he not doing anything? And then silence for 400 years after he says, oh, I'll send my messenger. And Mark, putting all that together, says, here's the good news. He said he would send him. He has sent him. But guess what? It's not quite what you think. John the Baptist comes. And he says, after me will come someone who is before me, of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He paves the way for who Jesus, the Messiah, the one who will purify the Levites and all nations of their sin. See, they were expecting him to come, and it's in Acts 1 as well. They asked the question, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, it's not for you to know the times and places or dates, but you will be my witnesses. You see, they're going, aren't you going to destroy the nations and restore Israel? No. I'm going to refine, like it says in Malachi. I'm going to be the launderer's soap. I am going to cast away all blemishes. But where is the God of justice, they say? Well, yeah, justice needs to be served, but not on all just the nations, but on all people. And so, yes, I am the God who loves, and yes, I am the God who is just. And so it needs to be punished, and it needs to be done in love. And Jesus comes. And he ends up on the cross. The very one who is being told that you do not love us and you are not just continues to be faithful to his promises. He continues to honour the ones he is calling. He continues to do all the things that we don't do for him. And he goes to the death on the cross for him, for us, for the Levites, for the Israelites, for the nations, for all who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is the God of justice? Well, he's hanging on a cross because he knows the punishment must be paid, that there needs to be a substitute for your sin. How has he loved us? He has never given up on us. Not only did he save you out of slavery to, from Egypt, but now he has saved you from the slavery to your sin by dying on a cross. See, Malachi is pointing to Jesus. And we are so tempted when we look at our world to go, where is the God of justice? Does God really love us? Well, that's because our eyes aren't fixed on the place where we were designed to have them fixed. Which is why true worship occurs when our eyes are fixed on the Lord our God 
and not on the world. We worship him. And where's he found? He, well, he was found on a cross, but now he has been raised again and he has ascended and he is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And if you ever doubt God's love and you ever doubt God's justice, you just look at the cross. That's what Malachi is saying. That's what Mark's saying. That's what Paul says. That's what Peter says. That's what every apostle that ever lived says. That is every true preacher has ever said, just look to the cross. John Stott, great theologian, write a great book. You should read it. It's a bit thick. It's a bit hard going, but get through it. It's called The Cross of Christ. It, is, it will center you in the cross. And you will understand why we have a cross displayed here. You'll understand why there's a cross in our logo. You'll understand why the symbol of Christianity is a cross. But you should also understand why that's empty and it doesn't have an image of him hanging on it because he has been raised again. So what is true worship and how do we honour the Lord? Well, we do it by fulfilling our commitments and honouring him with the best of our lives. Think of him not as a tax man, but as your father. Your father who loves you. Honour him by giving him all that you can. Honour him with everything. One of the ways we can do that over this Christmas, I think, is I want to encourage you to just step out of your comfort zone a little bit. Invite someone to one of our services. Now, I spoke to a family, uh, so I, I, got a, I got a phone call a few weeks ago, actually, by someone who would like their child dedicated here. They had their child dedicated here seven years ago or something, and they said, I oh, would like it. And I said, do you know, I, I, I spoke to her during this week, and I said, I just need to know, do you know what it means to dedicate your child? And so we had this conversation and, and she was like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I've always wanted to go to church. But there just seems so many barriers. It actually broke my heart. She was like, oh, I, I really want to go to church, but I, I just don't know where to start. So she'll be coming in two weeks' time. And that is exciting. Not because I told her she has to come to church if she wants her baby dedicated. I didn't say that at all. I said, I just want to come over and have a chat with you and your husband and just, you know, so that we can understand where we're at. And she goes, I want to come to church. Don't be afraid. People are longing. There is only one place they can find true worship. There's only one place they can find true love. There's only one place that they can find true justice. And it is through the message that we have been entrusted with, that knowledge that is written about in Malachi. We have it. <laughs> don't hide it under a bushel. Don't put it, put, it on, put it out. We need to talk about it. Because the God of love and the God of justice is found right here. It's found right here. It's found right here. It's found right here. Don't be afraid of that. So I want to encourage you be bold this Christmas. There's a gingerbread event, there's a carol service, there's other services. You'd be surprised. They might feel awkward, they might feel out of, out of place. I've been there. 
But that doesn't matter because God will speak through all of that. He will speak through all of the stuff that you might think, ooh. He'll even use a pretty ordinary preacher too. Many people have become Christians under very ordinary preachers. So let me encourage you to do that this Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for calling us as your royal priesthood, as your family, as the people of God. Father God, thank you for entrusting us with everything. Help us to live and honour you with all of our life, in our offerings, in the way we handle your word, in the way that we, we, we love you in response to the love that you first had for us. When we attempted to ask, how have you loved us, Lord? Help us to look to the cross. When we were tempted to say, well, where is the God of justice? Help us to look to the cross. And Father God, as we go into this Christmas season, I pray for all those hearts that are longing to know what true love is, that are longing to know what true justice is, that are longing to know a peace and a hope that only you can give. So Father God, bless our time this week. Watch over us. And as we sing this song, Lord, help us to do it with all our hearts out of a great spirit of worship. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.